0: Go and grab a seat, and grab your Bibles, and turn with me. (laughs) Uh. Hey, who's happy to be here this morning? Now you're standing up way too long not to be happy to be here this morning, or maybe you're just ready to get out of here. Is that what that was? It is so good to see you all this morning. My name is Josh. I'm the teaching minister here at Clear Creek, and it is our... God-given vision to be a church that connects people to God and others so that God's kingdom will come, His will be done here in Chattanooga, just as it is in heaven. And so we're so glad you're with us this morning. If you're a guest... Uh, You're a special guest with us this morning. We're so honored to have you here today. I want to make two quick points and then we're going to dive into the text. If you want to go ahead and turn there to Mark chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 1 in just a moment. But two quick things. Number one, uh, we are going through the series of Mark and we're using this little journal. Now, um, if you do not have a Mark journal... And I don't see my guys in the back right now. But if you do not have a Mark journal, some of our men are grabbing some extra journals. If you would like one, it's a daily reading through the four Gospels. It's chronological. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John kind of going chronologically through them over the next 30 weeks. You will want this. So go ahead and raise your hand if you do not have one. And uh, some of our men will be down front to give them to you. Keep your hands raised high because they're coming around. Give them a moment. Second thing, all of our stuff that we're doing here on Sundays lead into our group life Monday through Saturday. You say, well, our group meets on Sunday. Well, fine, Sunday morning through Sunday night. But here's the big idea. If you are not already in a small group, I, I just want to encourage you to take your next step. And the place to do that is at our next step station in the lobby. You leave these doors right here. You go to the main area. There's a big banner on the wall. You can't miss it. And here's the deal. If you are not in a small group and you would like to be in one, you go out there today. Someone will help you, and we will get you into a group ASAP, because this is how we do life. What we do here on Sunday is important, but understand, this is like just putting fuel in the tank. You need to drive it somewhere for it to be valuable, and you do that in group. So, I invite you to get a book and get in a group. Make sense? Yeah? Yeah? No? Don't care? Okay, let's move in. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and I have a total of about 20 minutes to do this, so we're going to dive in. Let's go. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and Andy, if you'll drive through this part, that would be awesome. These are the opening words of the story, and by story, I do not mean fictitious tale. I simply mean the historic events of the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, from the perspective of Mark. Here we go. Mark 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So... John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothes made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Everyone say, mm. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but hear this. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once. Everybody say, at once. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. This is God's word. All right, you ready? Mark wants us to know a few things. If you want to take notes, this is on page, oh gracious, I should have already pulled this up. This is on page 14, place to put some notes. Here's the first thing Mark wants us to know. This story of Jesus, and really the story of human history, is a story or a tale of two kings. A tale of two kings with two kingdoms and two different types of citizens, a tale of two kings, two kingdoms, and two citizens. All of history is divided, if you will, between this kingdom and that kingdom at odds, at war, at fights. In fact, in our own nation, we recognize this, not because we have different kingdoms, but we have different parties, we call them. And one party fights against the other party to see who will control, who will win, who will rule. And Mark wants us to know what we experience today is nothing new. This is a tale of two kings, two kingdoms, and two types of citizens. The first king during this time around the year 65 A.D. is a wicked man named Caesar Nero. He was... The most powerful man in the known world. He ruled over the Roman Empire, which at the time was the most expansive, the most imperial, the most prominent of all nations in the world. But this man who came to power was a horrible, horrible man. He was a selfish man who lived only for himself. He was a vicious man, so much so that whoever opposed him lived, or rather did not live, to regret it. In fact, as we said last week, around the year 64 AD in the summertime, he hired, we think, some thugs to light fires around the city of Rome so that he could then raise taxes to do the rebuilding project. And he was... A vicious man. When people began to blame him for the burning of Rome, he blamed the Christians, having them rounded up in hundreds and hundreds and thousands at a time. He would dress them in the skins of wild animals and have them eaten in the Colosseum. He would have them lit on fire on big pieces of wood in his courtyard so at night his parties, his dinner parties, would have light. He was a vicious, wicked man, but he was the king. And Mark wants us to know, this world is ruled by wicked kings. And we say, "Mm mm-hmm, that's right, that's why I'm voting for so-and-so, or that's why this, or that's why that. And then Mark is going to say, oh, and by the way, every one of us wears a little crown on the heart of our lives. Understand, it's not simply Nero who needs to be dethroned this morning. It's a tale of two kings, Nero. And the other one, though, he says, let me introduce you, though, to the other king and he's going to lay out for us very briefly here three things about our king three things about our king if you want to write these down he's going to show us three things number one jesus is the true king nero says i am king jesus shows up and says nero you've been around all of about what 12 seconds I am the great, I am, I am the infinite God, I am the eternal one. Understand, you are nothing more than a breath that is gone in but a moment. Mark puts it this way, he calls Jesus by three different titles in verses 1 and verse 3. Notice, he calls Jesus Christ. Now, the word there, Christ, often is confused for Christians today, growing up. I thought the word Christ was Jesus' last name. So Jesus goes to the restaurant. He waits for his name to be called. They say, Christ, table of two, your table is ready. That's what I thought, that it was his last name. Christ is not his name. It is a title. It comes from the Greek word Christos, which simply means an anointed royal person. It is the Greek equivalent of the Old Testament Hebrew word Messiah. Everyone say Messiah. Messiah was not simply an anointed king, but he would be the special anointed king who would rule over Israel and push out all of Israel's oppressors, bringing justice and truth and righteousness and equity to the world. The Messiah was not simply a king. Messiah was the king. Mark says, oh, Caesar, you think you're all that? Jesus is the king. But he then takes the next step. He then says not only is he messiah he is son of god now this to us may not mean much but in the ancient world thems fighting words do you know what fighting words are fighting words it's when you say something to another person and you know it is going to elicit a response it may be in middle school you heard fighting words that began something like your mama is so mhm fact, and then fill in the blank, right? Them's fighting words. Now look, I wasn't very big, but I would gnaw your knees off if you talked about my mama. <laughs> Mark uses some fighting words by calling Jesus son of God, because hear me now, Jesus is not the first to be called son of God in the first century. There's this other king, again, named Nero, who took the title Divi Filius, son of Of God. And Mark says, you're a pretender. Let me introduce you to the real thing. He is the true king. And then in verse 3, you notice that he begins to quote. Verse 2 and 3, he begins to say, as the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, but he actually quotes not just Isaiah, but Malachi, or as the Italians would call him, Malachi. The different prophets, that was not a funny joke, the Old Testament prophets... He begins to quote that this Savior would be one who was brought along or announced by a herald. And he says this man named John is the voice, the herald, the one saying, Make way for the Lord. Notice this. Mark doesn't simply say that Jesus is Messiah or Son of God. He equates John to the voice in the wilderness and Jesus is the Lord, he says, you need to understand, church, there is but one true king. And if ever another king attempts to crawl upon the throne of your heart, you kick him, you kick her, you kick it off fast because there is but one true king. He goes on. Jesus is not only the true king, but he is the renewed king. Because as soon as Jesus comes on the scene, John starts baptizing people for this repentance and we'll talk about that next week but he's basically saying you got to get ready for the king you got to prepare a space like when you have guests coming over you clean a little nook in your house a little corner maybe that guest room or a space so they can stay and john is saying you need to clean out the clutter because the king is coming and jesus shows up and the first thing our king does is he is baptized and i know this throws a lot of us because it's like wait a minute baptism for jesus I thought he was perfect. He is. But understand, when Jesus died on the cross, he took your place and my place. And to be the perfect substitute for us on the cross, for you and I to have someone take our place perfectly, means that he not only could not have ever sinned, but he had to do everything that was also Right. If you want to cross reference this, this is Matthew chapter 4. Read the story, or excuse me, chapter 3, second half of that is where Jesus is baptized. And Jesus says, I must do this to fulfill all righteousness. Hear me now. If you are a Christ follower, if you love Jesus, but you have never crossed the line into baptism, our Savior would invite you today to do that. He's baptized because. Baptism throughout history was this picture of a moment going from one place into a new place. And so in the Old Testament, the Israelites leave Egypt, but before they exit Egypt, they cross through the Red Sea. It's a picture of baptism. They're then in the wilderness 40 years, and when they then come to the edge of the Promised Land, before they go in the Promised Land, they come to the Jordan River, they cross through. It's a picture of baptism from death And wilderness to life and promise. And so John is baptizing in the Jordan River and Jesus comes out to be baptized. A couple things happen though. The first thing, the sky opens. We don't have time to talk about that this morning. We'll talk some other time about it. The sky opens and a voice pronounces that Jesus is this beloved son. But there's this beautiful, weird picture where a bird flies down and lands on Jesus. And if you read this, you go, this seems weird. Why does the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God Himself, come on Jesus? And more importantly, why as a dove? Now, if you grew up in church, you're familiar with all the church imagery. You've seen all the pictures with little, you know, soft focus lens pictures of doves, usually with a purple background. Everything is italicized, it's got the churchy look to it. And we're familiar with it, so we miss the point. Here's what's going on. In their culture and day, talking about the Spirit of God as a dove was unheard of. There was only one place in their ancient writing where the Holy Spirit being called a dove was ever used. It was actually in this document called the Targums. Everybody say Targums. Well, that was not convincing. Everybody say Targums. There we go. Targums were the Aramaic translation of the Bible. You say, okay, Josh, what's all this? Okay, Aramaic was just the language that most people spoke, the common people spoke in the first century. They didn't speak Hebrew, most of them. They didn't read Hebrew, most of them. And so if you wanted to read the Old Testament, someone had to translate it from Hebrew into your language, and they called those translations the Targums. And the only other time in Scripture, in the Old Testament, where we see this image is in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, where the Spirit of the Lord is hovering over the formless void of earth. And the interesting thing is, is the Hebrew word that's for hovered, the Spirit hovered, is actually translated and can be translated fluttered. The Spirit of God fluttered. And so, in the Aramaic Targums, the rabbis actually wrote that the Spirit of God fluttered over the deep like a dove. And God said, let there be light. What is happening in this moment is not simply Jesus is baptized. It is an announcement to creation and to the nation that the God who began the good work, who started with nothing and void and brokenness, is now coming back into the story to do it all again. He is the recreating God, this God who started with nothing and created everything. It can come into your life, start with nothing, with brokenness, with a void, with all the baggage that we all carry and say, I can renew what's broken. Let me ask you a question. Anyone in here this morning need to be renewed? Anyone in here need to know that Jesus is alive? Anyone in here need to know that yesterday does not determine your tomorrow? Let me tell you something. This is sort of off the books here for a moment, but let me just talk for a moment here. Some of you here this morning just need to know one simple thing. Your past is not greater than the power of forgiveness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You have not done so much, gone so far, that he cannot fix that which is broken in you. Let me just explain something to you. There is not one person in this room who has come to Jesus who did not first fail Jesus royally. In fact, years ago, one of my mentors said this, and I've just remembered I love what he said. He said, if in church, just for one moment, above every one of our heads could appear the one sin, the one moment, the one thing that we are so ashamed of. He said, you know, the only thing that would shock all of us is how similar we are you need to know he is not just the God who is over all things he is the renewing God and if you need renewal in a few minutes we're going to have prayer time and we're going to give you opportunity to ask for renewal if you want to be baptized we'll baptize you if you just need to pray with someone we'll pray with you if you need to pray for someone else we'll pray for that someone else but we want you to know that our king is the renewing king is that good news Some of you don't believe it this morning. Let's try that again. Is that good news? This is great news. Okay, so this is our king. Notice also, just one more little note there. At the very beginning, verse 1, uses the word beginning. This also is to key us back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, which begins, in the beginning. He's doing it again, folks. He's at work again. And then the third thing that happens Oh, this is a picture, by the way, of it. We'll skip past because of our time, but here's the third thing I want you to see here. He is the true king, the renew king, and he is the victor king. The word victor is there because I couldn't find a rhyming word with true or renew. So, but he is the one who not simply is true. He is not simply the one who's able to renew, but he is the victorious king of kings. You need to understand This is a tale of two kingdoms, and one kingdom does not like that Jesus' kingship is here. This is true from the beginning. You remember how the story begins in Genesis. God makes everything beautiful, perfect. He even creates this garden for people to live in and enjoy. He puts a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, in this garden to tend to it and enjoy it and love and live life and walk with God, and it was perfect until chapter 3 of Genesis when the enemy Satan shows up and begins to call into question the goodness of God. Are you sure God really loves you? He's holding out on you, isn't he? I mean, he's told you not to eat that fruit on that one tree. I know he said you could have all the other, but if he really loved you, he wouldn't hold out on you. How many of us look back in our lives and the moment of regret was that moment that followed when we questioned the goodness of God? Well, God has a plan for our sexuality, and we question it, and then we regret what we did. God has a plan for our finances, and we choose to question it, and so we regret the questioning because of what it causes. We, we hear that God has this plan for the way we ought to interact with one another, but we question if that's really the best way, and the moment After questioning, if we fall to it, we almost always regret listening to the voice. And here, Jesus goes out into the wilderness. But notice, he's not just wandering out there. The Spirit of God that just came on him forces him, compels him. The word is drives him out. Because Jesus is about to do battle on your behalf and mine. And we're told, that he's there in the wilderness and if you go to Matthew's account in chapter 4 you get the whole story in three dimensional detail Mark's very brief but Jesus goes out and for 40 days he doesn't eat and I love how Matthew gives like the understatement of the century he says Jesus did not eat for 40 days and he was hungry that's what happens and so Jesus is out there and after he's hungry the enemy Satan comes upon Jesus and says hey Jesus If you are the son of God, if what you heard at the river was really God and not a figment of your imagination, if you really are more than mortal, go ahead and prove it. You're hungry. And I can almost imagine the enemy going over and stooping down, picking up a big rock and saying, in fact, if if you're God, why don't you just take this rock? Just turn in some bread. I mean, fill your stomach. You got the power, right? Prove it. But Jesus does something that no one else did before him in that moment. You see, the first Adam, we're told, in the garden, where everything was perfect, was tempted with food and he gave in but Jesus as Paul the apostle calls him the second or the greater or the better Adam is tempted for food or with food and he says hey haven't you heard haven't you read scripture says it very clearly man does not live by bread alone i got a source of energy enemy that you don't have a clue about, and since it doesn't come from you, you can't take it from me. Adam failed in the garden and he was cast out into the wilderness. Jesus was the victor in the wilderness so that he could bring you into the promised land. Relationship with God. Mark wants us to know that Jesus is the true king over all things. He is the renewed king no matter where you are today. He is able to speak into that to renew what has been broken. And he is able to, he's already given victory over what you face. And listen, this isn't good news, meaning now you too can have victory over everything you face. No, this, the good news is that I cannot defeat the enemy of Satan's sin and death on my own. Praise be to God, he did it for me. You can't win, but Jesus won for you. Is that good news? This is your king, church. This is who we are going to look at over the next 29, 28, however many more weeks we have to go on this little journey. This is your king. I say that, but then I realize that some of us, this is not the case. I just want to ask you a question as we close this morning. Once we get to it, here we are. Who's your king? Who's your king? You understand that a king does not have to wear a physical crown. It just needs to be something or someone to whom you bow. For some of you, your king is a relationship at school. It's a boy. It's a girl. Someone that you would do anything for and you've done anything for and you regret it. For some of you, your king is going to be the approval of others. So you kind of, you massage the truth because you're afraid of what other people think. Or you you tend to blow up so as to sort of manipulate people or to get what you want or you're passive aggressive and you do these things and it's all because your king is what other people think. And then for others in here, your king is going to be your work. It's going to be what you do. That is who you are. I hate it when I ask a guy, hey, what do you do for a living? Or rather when someone says, what do you do for a living? Because then they always answer the job. That's not you. That's not what you do for a living. That is simply the means for living. And for so many of us, we have confused kings. And we've said, Jesus, you're my king in theory, but in practice, something else is my king. Here's what I want to ask you this morning Who's your king? Because you only have two choices. You have the benevolent, true king who can renew all things, who can bring victory out of brokenness, or you can have another version of Nero. And I just want to say this as plainly as I know how, as we walk into this study together, I'm going to invite you every step of the way to evaluate who is your king. I want to tell you about my king. My king is the king that forgave me for the moments that I didn't think life was worth living and I really had some thoughts about what to do about that. My king is the king who helped me through depression My king is the king who, when I face a moment where I'm tempted to lie because of what someone might think or how someone might respond, he says, you need to understand your value is not in what other people think, it's who I say you are. My king is the king who provides healing, but even when it is not physical healing or in the way we wish, my king is the king who has never abandoned me no matter what. And that could be your king too. So this morning we're going to go into a time of prayer and some of our prayer leaders are going to make their way right now to the front. I'm going to ask them to come on up to the front. And I'm going to invite you as we begin to prepare the room and to prepare our hearts to ask the question, who, who lives on the throne of your heart? Who's your king? And this king who is a good king, does he, do you know him well? Are you following him? This morning you may need some prompts. Let me just give you a couple things as we go into this. Maybe this morning you want to celebrate the good that's been going on, something that God has done. Perhaps you just need to ask God for help. Maybe you need to repent for something or maybe ask for strength so you won't sin. Whatever your need is, here's the good news. This morning there is a good king who has come and now is waiting for you. So would you come? Would you stand? As together we go into this time of prayer to our good king. Let us stand. And I want to speak a blessing over you as we are dismissed. May the true King, who renews all things and continues to be victorious, reign in your life this week. May he go before you and bless you. You are dismissed. God bless.